tonight we have something a little bit different. We're going to have uh, five of us up here, and we're going to uh, kind of have a, uh, I would call it like a, almost like a talk show kind of a theme, and we're going to talk about um, some hot topics, I'll put it that way. Um, the one we're going to talk about first is the question that we've heard a lot and a lot of people have, and that question is, why do bad things happen to such good people? That's a question that it, it occurs over and over and over and over again. Um, we had a funeral today for a really good guy. Um, he died. Why does these bad things happen to good people in our world? And, that, and that's a, just a, a very common question. Now, I would preface that entire argument with there's a couple of assumptions that happen that we're going to talk about and why those assumptions aren't necessarily always a good thing to assume. So to start off with, um, Merle, would you address just an opening comment of why do bad things happen to good people? I'm putting you on the spot here. He didn't know I was going to ask him first. Well, first of all, I would say, uh, I would say I don't know. Sometimes I just don't know. But I do know a lot of things. I know that God is loving and that our faith rests in a loving God who loved us and gave himself for us and who has promised that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll be with us. You know, the Bible has so many verses to say about this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. You know, so, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he'll be there. So, you know, it's very comforting to know that God don't ever test us beyond what we're able. He says, but he'll make a way out. So whatever we go through, um, the one thing I think we'd all say is don't blame God. You know, when things go bad, uh, it always seems like there has to be somebody to blame. But it's certainly not God. And it's important to guard our heart when we go through tough things, that we don't start blaming God, bit, get, get better. You know, like Paul says, don't be weary. You'll reap, you'll get there if you don't throw in the towel. And I've seen many times people get shipwrecked when they go through difficult things. But it even says that the trial of our faith is more precious than gold. God does test us. God does try us. But in the end of the day, you'll be better and you'll be able to comfort somebody else with the comfort that you've been comforted with. Yeah, thank you. Another, another good verse to that would be, it's not really a, it's a Bible-based saying. It's not a chapter and verse. And that is just simply this, that don't forget in the dark what God showed you in the light. Sometimes we go through dark times and it seems like, oh my gosh, where are you, God? But don't forget in those dark times what God showed you in the light of his word because the light of his word is what? It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So as we, as we walk in the light, then we'll know where to go because his word is light and it's a lamp. Um, Josh, would you um, well, share what's I on your heart? Before I this verse here, you made the comment about the assumptions that are in that question and I think we want to finish that thought is if you ask um, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? 
First, you're assuming that everything that's happening, God is making happen. And that assumption isn't accurate. And the second thing that you assume is that there are good people who are perfect and deserved nothing too bad to ever happen to them. But the scripture tells us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what is the cost, the, 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 the payment of sin? Death. There is no one so perfect that in their perfection they deserve nothing wrong, nothing bad. The reality is there is no perfect person. And, and people and God isn't making everything happen. We, we, we discussed this the other day and we said, you know, there are a few uh, extremes that people go to. We said one extreme is thinking that God makes it all happen. Extreme sovereignty. The other one is an extreme faith view where it says, you know, anything that goes wrong with you is because you didn't have enough faith. And then the other extreme is, well, it's the devil doing it and there's nothing you can do to stop him. And none of those are right, as hopefully we'll be discussing and finding some balance there. Um, I shared with them earlier a scripture. It, it's kind of a similar question. We asked tonight, why do bad things happen to good people? The scripture hits that question close. It says, why do good things happen to bad people? And here's what it says in Malachi 3.13. God speaking through the prophet says, you have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have you, I said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? So they're basically saying, it, it looks like the bad guys get all the good stuff. What's the point? Why is there any good? He said, that was, that was a terrible thing to say. It's not a terrible question to ask, but it's a terrible assumption to, to keep and way to live. And I'm going to skip forward a bit in the verse in chapter 17. He says, then will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Listen, he's talking about the good people. He says, there is a day when I will spare them like a father spares an obedient child. On what day? The day of judgment. He says, then, not immediately and every, every, all the time. He says, then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't. What God is saying is, when you think, oh, bad things are happening to, to a good person, you need to widen your perspective. God says, you know, when it's all said and done, when the day has come, you will not see an imbalance. You will not see a lack of justice. Yeah. And the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It's not just bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to everybody. Because we live in a fallen world. You know, John 16 says that in this world you will have trouble. I mean, you don't have to put that one on your refrigerator and believe God for it. It's just, that's one that just happens, okay? In this world, you will have some trouble. And uh, whether you're good, bad, or indifferent, you're going to have some trouble. Go ahead. Um, if I could underscore that, that was the scripture that was really on my heart to share. It's John 16, 33. In this world, you will have tribulation. It's like, 
thanks a lot, right? But like uh, Pastor Bernie says, we're not to believe God for it. It's a fact. But I think sometimes um, we are under another wrong assumption that if we're doing everything right in our faith, then why, am I, why do these troubles still come? But see, God never promised us a trouble-free life, but he did promise you the victory to get through because the rest of that scripture says, in the world you will have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever felt any of those. Okay, so he's talking to us. Two hands here. But be of good cheer. Okay, so this is our demeanor. This is our approach. Take courage. Be confident, certain, and undaunted because Jesus is saying, I have overcome the world. And because I've overcome the world, I've given you everything. I have fully equipped you to overcome this world. In fact, he says, I've overcome the world. And because I like Amplified, anybody else tracking with me? Okay, just one. Uh, It says, I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. So the truth of the word of God is that trials, tribulations, and frustrations have already been overcome by the blood of the Lamb and that God has already provided. You know, Jesus didn't have a trouble-free life. Paul didn't have a trouble-free life. It's not a reflection of how well we're doing with God or how spiritual we are. It's a fact of life. And we live in a fallen world. People get to choose. Um, They get to choose for good. They get to choose for bad. And sometimes there's collateral damage, and sometimes we get caught in that. But, biggest but in the Bible, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. I do, but it might uh, it might change the direction a little bit. But um, I <laughs> I love like that's I know this is weird, but I I, I love John sixteen thirty three. It's actually one of my favorite verses, even though you said don't staple it on your refrigerator. Um, and, and the reason why I do is because <laughs> I serve I serve a person named Jesus who lived the hardest life that anyone could ever live. And if, not that I wish trouble upon myself, but I think sometimes we, we actually have turned our Christianity into a trump card to have an easy life. And we, and we use it to maybe have God solve our, all of our problems. And the reason why Jesus came is so that we can endure hardships and not look any different going through them. And the reason why I think actually most people have this question of why, why do good things happen to good people is because, actually I won't make that definitive statement, but um, the hard times are going to come and Jesus prepared us for that and he actually gave us the Holy Spirit to give us power to get through them, not just to endure them, but to overcome them, just like what Karen was saying. And the gospel, Jesus did not come to make us have an easy life. He came so that he would transform us into a person who would look just like him. That means that when we go through trouble, when we're wrongfully accused, when we're betrayed, when, we're, when we don't reap what we sow, when we, there's no cause and effect and we're, we're unjustly treated, that we respond like our Savior. That's why he came, not so that we could... Be, so that we could avoid every situation that might cause injustice or 
betrayal. So that we can, does that make sense? Yeah. I think I want to I want to throw out this as well. We have to remember every situation isn't the same. So there will be situations where we look and say, like John 15:20, Jesus said. If they persecuted me, well, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours as well. But they will treat you like this on account of my name because they, have, they know not the one who sent me. So there are times when there is trouble going to come for his name's sake. There's the scripture we're not putting on the fridge. It's going to happen. But you know what? That's not all trouble. There is trouble that we can avoid. And there is times when, when God, we, we say, why did that happen? And you know what? The answer is, it didn't have to. Not every time. There are times when it does come for their namesake. But I don't think we can answer that question correctly without saying, you know what? Sometimes it can. God's Holy Spirit is often telling us, you know what? Slow down. Turn left. Don't do that today. Don't do that ever. Don't. And, and if we fail to listen, and then say, well, why did good things, why did something bad happen to, to, to me, a good person, or so-and-so, a good person? Well, the Holy Spirit was, was trying to stop them. Sometimes. Sometimes. Like I said, this isn't, we, we can't give a one-size-fits-all answer because every bad thing that happens to someone didn't come under the same circumstances. Uh, Psalm 91, I would just say, meditate gravitate, ingest, get it so down deep in your heart that if when trouble comes and you get squeezed, that that's the first thing that comes out of you. But um, specifically, Psalm 91.3 says, surely he shall deliver you. And when he says sure, it doesn't mean sometimes. It means absolutely surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. And without going into too much detail, it's literally saying that God's promises he promises that any, any ambush or snare that has been set for you to walk into, he's going to deliver you from. And I guess in modern, more modern language, we might say that means he's going to put you in the right place at the right time and not the wrong place at the wrong time. If we'll release faith to receive that. And one other scripture I wanted to, um, to underscore with that is that um, Jesus... Uh, or actually Paul was saying in Ephesians, he said, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews, he said that um, the children of Israel could not benefit from the promises of God because of one thing. They did not mix faith with it. So we're not going to benefit from any promises that God has for us if we don't mix faith, release faith, exercise faith, because it takes faith to receive and to believe and again, that means really growing deep roots of understanding by revelation of the Holy Spirit, meditating, you know, and that's what we regurgitate under pressure is what's in our heart in abundance. And so I think sometimes we're passive about the promises of God, but what I see in the scriptures is that we need to be active in releasing faith in order to see the promises written in the word on paper become reality in our lives. I think you'll go all the way back to Merle's initial answer and reiterate some of what he said. And that is, when we don't understand what's happening, God is good. When it seems like nothing makes sense, God is good. He's a good God and he loves us. 
and he's not the author of the pain that's in your life. Um, he's not the author of it. Um, things we live in a fallen world, and um, many many up here have alluded to this. I'll just say it kind of in a different way, and that is, pain comes from many different avenues or many different directions. Sometimes other people can do sinful things and it causes us pain. Um, we, we might be completely innocent in the thing that have no fault of our own and be absolutely innocent, but yet other people make decisions and it causes us pain. Someone might decide to um, drink too much and drive a car and, and, and they've hit someone and that person driving didn't do anything wrong. They're just there and and that's, those types of things, they happen in the world, that they're real. And uh, what we have to remember in the middle of all that, number one, get, get a hold of the promises of God and actively pursue them. Listen to the Holy Spirit, like you said. Um, understand that your life sometimes might have bumps, like Jake said, and understand, like what Merle said, that God is good no matter what. An all-encompassing thing is that God is good. He's good. You know, I would just add that, you know, probably everybody here has had something happen that is difficult. You know, and I'd say there's probably not a week that goes by that I'm not with someone that's crying over something that happened in their life. And, you know, Jesus said that he was moved with compassion. When you're in that situation and you turn to God and you look to God, God has grace and God has comfort. You know, and but for the grace of God, a whole lot of things would happen to all of us more often than they do. You know, we know the Bible says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. And I myself, from the testimony of my own life, I have found God to be closer, more of a friend, more loving, and through some of my greatest trials, I've fallen in love with God all the more. A secondary part of that, you want to say something? I, I do want to add something there. The question of why, do good, why did God allow a good thing to happen to a bad person? We, we needed to take a moment and get a little bit philosophical and think about, well, how would he stop it? In order to have that question answered the way that most people ask it, think they want it answered, what they're saying is, why didn't God just make everything happen exactly the way, the most ideal outcome? Why didn't the drunk person just run into a tree? Then their parents say, well, why did he get hurt? Well, why didn't he just run into a, you know, haystack? Why didn't God just go throughout the entire world and just make everything happen ideal, ideally? And then we just go right back to the beginning and say, why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin? Why didn't he just take control of everything and say, I'm not going to allow anything less than ideal to take place? And the answer is right there. The Bible says in, in, in the famous Mars Hill speech, Paul, it's one of my favorite sections, Paul is explaining to someone why the earth was made and why people are here. And he says that God did it because he wanted us to reach out to him. God wanted relationship. God wanted love. And here is the deal. The Bible says God is love, 
Love doesn't exist in a vacuum of choice. You cannot have love if you have no choice. If I, if I put the gun to Bernie's head and I say, tell Jake you love him, it's meaningless because he had no choice. But when he can choose to say those words, even though Jake, in all the years of growing up in his house, has done a few things to annoy him, he can say, you know what, I love you anyway, then it has meaning. The same way with your spouse, they chose you. They could have chosen someone else. It has meaning. God wanted a meaningful, loving relationship with him. If we had, if he had taken that away, then, then, yeah, he would have stopped that accident or, or that situation, but he would have removed love from the world, which was removing his own nature, and it would have done a thousand times more harm than good. And then God promises, he says, in the big picture, listen, I'm going to balance it out. And that, that goes to the next step of this question, and that is, is God really controlling every aspect of this world? Is God really in control? How does this, how does this world um, exist? With all the bad things in the world, how can we say is, if, if God is in control, I would say if God's in control of everything, he's doing a pretty bad job. Okay, I know that sounds maybe sacrilegious, but it's that is true. I mean, with with all the nasty things going on in the world and babies being killed by the millions and children being enslaved and starving people, if 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 God really is in control and in charge of every single item in the world, He's doing a pretty poor job. So since that is not the case, God is not in control of every single thing in the earth. The reality is when he made Adam and Eve, he gave Adam, the first man, authority over the entire earth. He said, tend and keep. And that word keep means to guard as a soldier the garden. So he gave all authority to Adam. And when Adam ate that fruit off the tree... He gave his authority that God had given him, he gave it to Satan. And that's why when Satan tempted Jesus, he said, worship me and I'll give you this entire world for it's been delivered to me. What he was referring to was in the garden, Adam delivered the authority over the world to him. So, Jake, you look like you're going to bust if you don't talk. So go ahead and say something. I was going to go to Genesis. It's, it's just so awesome. Good. He gave the authority, but you know how the devil gained authority? He convinced Eve that God was not good. Yeah. If you read Genesis, I was just there. I'm going to go back. If you read Genesis 2, or 3, sorry. He says, the devil is talking to Eve. His God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit, or we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent, the devil, said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When, he, when the devil can deceive us, 
And when the devil can speak the lie that God is not good and that he's holding out on us and that he's not perfect, he's not great, he's not loving, when he can convince us that God is not those things, we have lost all authority unto the devil. We then are in a point of subject, we are a slave, the Bible talks about you are a slave to the one that you obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or a slave to righteousness, which leads to life and peace. Mm-hmm. I might have switched up the verses there a little bit, That's but right. we, can be, we can choose by our choices, by what we believe in our heart about God the Father, we choose which position we're in. And I'm kind of going on a tangent. I'm trying to retract. So so the reason why, you know, it says we were made in this image. He gave the devil authority. But when we we partner, really, that's what we do when we believe the lie. When we partner and we we believe the lie of the enemy, we forfeit the authority that was given to Adam in the beginning. And as far as is God in control or is God... Is God in control of everything that happens? I just read one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 18, 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. <laughs> if God gave me death and life in my tongue, he's not in control, I am. Does that make sense? If the death and life, I have the choice of death and life by, death and life, death and life, or whatever. Death and life are in my tongue, that means I can choose which to bring forth. It's a choice. Is he in control of every word that I speak? No, I have a choice of what I can speak. And the, the product of what I speak is my decision. He's not in control. I'm not a puppet up here pulling the strings. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to affirm what you're saying, Jake, because, you know, in Galatians, we all know that we're, we're free moral agents. We have the ability to choose. And in Galatians, he says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. You sow to the spirit, you'll reap life. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. So, I mean, a certain amount of it, what happens, like Jake is saying, is our responsibility is the choices that we make. It's the things that we do or don't do. And, you know, that law, (laughs) it's like, that's a law, period. The law of sowing and reaping. So, sow to the Spirit. It's interesting that the the verse I read at the beginning in Malachi that talked about that confusion. What? Why do good things seem to happen to bad people? Do you know what that immediately was preceded by? Anybody ever think of Malachi three ten, the famous tithing verse? This right before that, what does it say? It says, "You have scorned my decree." This is verse six and failed to obey me, now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven. But you ask, how can we return to you if we never went away? In other words, these people are like, oh, I've never done anything wrong. And then he replies, God says, should people cheat God? You have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And he says, you have cheated me through tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse. And then he goes on and he talks about how he'll bless them and, and all of these great things will happen when they, they remove the curse by honoring him in their tithes and offerings. And it comes back again to what we've planted, we've reaped. And many times this verse illustrates, they're like, well, what did I do? What did I do? And he's like, you didn't obey. 
And, and you, you stepped out from underneath a blessing. You stepped out from underneath a protection. You stepped out from there. And I want you back. And when you come, here it says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you can't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. God's desire, I, I believe that he does. It, it's all over scripture. He does have a desire to bless us. He does desire that we have a, a prosperous, abundant life. But there are principles there are things we can do that bring curses on us. Our own words can bring curses on us. Disobedience to his commandments can bring curses on us. And, and then we, we're like, what, what happened? And he's like, well, it's right there. Step back. And to balance it out, we're not, conflict, we're not contradicting what we said earlier. Because God is good. Now, but we do have a certain amount of personal responsibility, and when we know, God will lead us, and God will guide us, and God will show us, because both of these um, comments or both of these perspectives are actually both biblical and both true. God is not completely in charge. The devil's certainly not in charge. We have a certain amount of personal responsibility as, a, as the authority because Jesus told us, all authority I've given unto you over all the power of the enemy. I mean, you can't, you can't avoid that. That's right there. It's, and in Luke, it says, all authority I've given unto you over all the power of the enemy, or all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's a... That's, that's something that we have quoted over our children and over um, in our prayers with our kids their whole lives, that nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, in reality, have things ever hurt them? Sure, they ha it has little things here and there, but the truth is still the truth. And that is Jesus has given us authority. And we can use that authority. We can use the promises of God to um, just stand on his promises. So... You look like you got hit something to say, Karen. Go ahead. I would just, again, say that um, Jesus took that authority back for us. And then when um, Adam and Eve, you know, made a bad choice, I mean, isn't it amazing? Think about being in the garden, perfect man, perfect woman, perfect world, perfect everything, just like God. What in the world did they need except that they were deceived? They believed a lie. And I think that's also at the bottom line of some of the things that, um, that cause us some frustration in this world, too, is that we'll begin to question God's goodness or to question and, be, and begin to believe the lie. But um, here they are in the garden, and, and there's only one bad choice that they can possibly make, and they did it. Because they could eat it of all the trees except for one. But again, that shows God's goodness and his love because they weren't robots. They had the opportunity to choose. And, you know, think about it. Even the angels had a choosing of one day. God said, if you be for me. And then the devil took a third of heaven with them because they made choices. So choice is kind of at the bottom of everything that we're saying. But I guess what I wanted to come back to is the fact that God, or through Jesus, authority has been given back unto us. And so it is, I believe, our response, a proper response to take authority over and not to begin to question God's character. Don't let a tragedy cause you to doubt the truth of God's word and who he says he is. 
you know, I am, I am the Lord God. I change not. The situations change, but the Word of God is always our baseline of truth, and that never changes. You know, I was a bit hopeful that we would get around to sharing. We, we talked for 30 minutes the other day when we talked about this, and we, we were mentioning some of the stories of how God has, has reached in and, and both succeeded and not succeeded in, in saving us from, from different situations. And, and on one hand, I was kind of hoping maybe we'll get a chance to share a little bit of those encouraging stories that we can hear. But before we do that, we want to cut off one of the ways that the devil uses that as a stumbling block. And that is when you hear a story about, and I'll, I'll tell a story about Pastor Eric, but just, I love this story. He was driving over by the big boy right over here on Wilson. And he was coming from the Home Depot parking lot and he's driving up. And if you guys know, there's kind of a back exit there. And he's about to pull up right next to Wilson. And he just felt the Holy Spirit say, stop early. Well, if you stop early, you can't even see the traffic coming. So it's kind of an illogical place to stop. And he's got cars behind him that are going to have to stop when he stops, but he stopped. And a split second later, a car had been coming down the hill, didn't notice that traffic was slowing down, something happened. They went right off the road, jumped. The embankment landed right where he would have been and then slammed into a parked car. And it's just like, wow, you know, when the, the why did... Why didn't something bad happen to him? Because he was listening to the Holy Spirit. But here's what I don't want to have happen. When we talk about this, when we find encouragement in this, I don't want anyone to sit there and say, oh, well, then I must have done something wrong because something bad happened to me. And the Bible says in, um, no, my screen locked up, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. It says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone who commended them commend themselves, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. It is never appropriate to, to condemn someone who went through a difficult situation with the, well, they must not have had enough faith. They just must not have heard from the Holy Spirit. This must have had, they must have been a warning and they missed it. They're just, a, you know, losing. Or we, that is completely inappropriate. Get it out of your head. It is a trap that the devil uses. And, and I would love to hear some more of the stories if, if someone else doesn't have an awesome point to give. Because I find it very encouraging to hear about the stories. If you've been here at the church for a long time, you probably all heard my dad's story of when my mom broke her leg, was in a cast for a year, and how prior to going on that, that ski trip, they both had recurring dreams of exactly what was about to happen. And they chose to ignore it. And, you know, in that case, she broke her leg and spent a year there, but God was trying to stop it. Many years ago, I was just barely saved. I mean, I was at this church. I'd probably been saved at, um, maybe two years. My wife and I were just married or maybe we weren't yet. I don't even remember. It was a long time ago because we've been married 30 years. So it was a long time ago. And I woke, I had a dream and I had a dream that two of my nieces um, pulled, out in front of a, uh, pulled out in front of a car. They were T-boned and they were killed. I had this dream. I woke up crying because they were my oldest nieces. They were, you know, my little girls, you know, they were my nieces. 
and um, they would, we just got their driver's license, and I had this dream. So I remember I got up, and I came to church, and I came and saw Pastor Dwayne, and I said, I had this crazy dream last night, woke up crying. This is the dream. And he said, let's pray right now. So we joined hands, and we prayed, and we bound the devil. We declared that they would live and not die. We dispatched angels around that car. We declared that they would live, that they would be protected, and that was the end of it. That day, at 3.20, they went to that corner that I had the dream. They pulled out in front of a car that I saw. They got T-boned exactly as I saw, and they walked away completely uninjured. That's exactly what happened. To this day, my niece is 45, and my other one's 43, and uh, that was when they were 16 and 15. 16 and 14. And uh, yeah, it's a miracle. Their car, the, the police said they could not believe no They said, who died in this wreck? And they said, no one. Uh, they're completely un uninjured. They're over there. And it was because, I believe absolutely because I had the dream and I did something about it, went to pastor, pastor and I prayed together. We agreed and God dispatched angels based on that prayer and saved their lives, literally. So... That's, you know, there's many, many stories like that, many accounts like that where you just kind of go, that was a really dramatic one because it happened the same day and I was like, wow, that was crazy, okay? And there's many, many others like that. There's, there's dozens and dozens and dozens, but that's just one of them. Anybody else want to share? I'm sorry, did I take the thunder? No. Um, that's a tough, that's a tough one. That's to a tough one to what. follow, I understand. I got all these dramatic things that happen to me. Go ahead. What I think is kind of interesting is that sometimes when you kind of you get an impression of the Holy Spirit and you follow it, you may never know what you were saved from. And so then sometimes you think, well, maybe that was me, maybe that was God. But you know, I would just say practice the presence of God. You know, dare to step out and say, God, if this is you, I'm, I'm just going to trust you and to follow after you. And the other thing that I would say is that I would encourage all of us to pray every day, to stay in the shadow of his wings and in his presence that no evil shall befall us and no plague come near our dwelling. I think that's a prayer that we need to continually say because there's so much um, bad news and, you know, fear of things happening in the world and terrorist attacks and you keep, you know, hearing it, you can't avoid it, that we need to be stronger in what we're feeding our spirit and our mind so that our mind is stayed on him because that's where perfect peace lies. And continually say to your body, and when I say this, I mean it, speak to your body. Say, body, every cell that produces life, prosper. Every cell that does not produce life, die. You always say, well, that sounds kind of weird. Well, what that is, is you are telling your body, reject cancer, reject leukemia, reject every cell that doesn't produce life. And you're telling your body, immune system, prosper, liver, prosper, pancreas, prosper, do what you're called to do. Start talking to your body. You say, you are strange. Yes, I am. I've lost my mind. I have the mind of Christ. So there. Um, and that's a good place to be. But there, people think you're strange, but you know what? You end up healthy when you talk to your body. See? And it's, a, it's an important thing. It's, the power of life and death is in the tongue. 
And you say, well, what the world? Telling cells that don't produce life to die? Absolutely. Tell them to die. Jesus cursed a fig tree and the fig tree dried up. Right? Mm-hmm. Y'all read your Bible? That's what it says. Okay? So it's okay for you to curse cancer cells if they're, even if you haven't been diagnosed, praise God you haven't been diagnosed. Curse cancer cells because you know what? Everybody's got a couple cells that are crazy and your immune system gobbles them up. That's what happens. So thank God that your immune system is healthy, strong, gobbles up any rogue cells that are trying to cause trouble in your life, that your brain is normal, that you're free from Alzheimer's, that you're free from any other kind of disease, that just because you're 69, Merle, you don't have to start forgetting things, that you got a strong, healthy mind for the rest of your life. See, all those types of things, and I'm not picking on Merle, it's really true, he does have a strong mind. So there. But the point is this, the power of life and death is in your tongue and just speak life, speak life. And, and, and well, what about all the bad things that are going on in the world? The bottom line is you can't control everything in the world, but as far as you're concerned, do what you can in your little corner of it. Okay. Um, we can't control everything, but we can affect the little corner of the world where we live. And we're going to wrap it up right now, but because um, it's 7:35 and it's time to quit. Uh, we could go here for another three hours, but y'all wouldn't be here. We'd be talking to ourselves. So, but it's a it's. Thank you, Merle. Thank you, Karen, Josh, Jake. Thank you for for being here tonight. And would you just give everybody, all of them, a big hand if you would? Thank you for the collective wisdom. We're gonna um, we're gonna end it tonight, but. Um, do you have anything that you want to, no? Hmm, okay. Do you have anything that you want to share to end? We, we can keep going. Now, we're not going to keep going. I know he says, I want to keep going. Um, we're going we're gonna to bring it in for a landing. But um, if anybody has something that's, I got to get out of my heart, no? Okay, good. I already got out what I had to get out, so there. But let's just close in a word of prayer and um, just send you on your way blessed. Hold on. The Holy Spirit put a thought in my mind just a moment ago. We asked about, is God in control? And, and a lot of people, um, you, you get concerned with an answer that says, no, he's not. The, the scripture says, that he foreknew, he predestined. Okay? It doesn't say what he predestined, he knew. It says that he foreknew, he predestined. God is looking out. He is seeing what's going on. The Bible says that he does not allow any temptation to come. So, the answer isn't God, we're not saying God spun the world like a top, sat back and said, let's see what happens. Nope. That is not what we're saying. Okay? He's made it clear. He wants us to have a free will because he, need, he, he built us for love. He is love. There is free choice. But he is watching out. He does know the beginning from the end. He does promise to balance it out in the end. Is he in control? Ultimately, yes, but he doesn't exercise that by sticking his fingers into every single thing that happens. Does God intervene as he sees fit occasionally to do something miraculous? Absolutely he does. We just recognize it's not based on need. It's based on us exercising our authority, other gifts of healings, gifts of miracles, things we haven't gotten time to cover. But we just want you to know Is he in control? Ultimately, yes. Is he manipulating every single thing that happens on a daily basis? No. 
He saw ahead of time and made provision. He saw ahead of, he saw the end from the beginning. Yes. So he's already seen how it turns out and he calls us victorious. Yes, he does. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are good. And Father, we don't judge you based on our thoughts. We just know that you are good. And Father, your goodness endures, your mercy endures forever. Father, we thank you that your grace is upon every person in this place. Thank you, Father, for your tender mercies upon each one. And Father, we just speak life over every person here. We speak life and health and blessing over each situation. We bind the enemy and we bind the forces of darkness that would try to hinder or overwhelm or overcome anyone here. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father, for peace. For you are Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. We thank you, Father, that you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provision. That you are Jehovah Shammah, the one who will never leave us or forsake us. That you are Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. That you are Jehovah Rapha, our healer. And Father, we thank you that you are every single thing that we need. You've already made provision for every need that we have. Every situation we will ever encounter, you've already made provision through the shed blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, today that you love us and that you're going before us. In Jesus' name, amen.